Hello and welcome to episode 5 of my ongoing fiction podcast. Uh, This episode will be a story that I put on Amazon, Smashwords, etc. last year. The question that writers get asked most often, it seems, is where do you get your ideas? And usually I don't have a very good answer. But in this particular case, I have a very good answer. Uh, I have a friend, John, who is a fan of mine also, and he said, you need to write this story, and he sent me a brief synopsis, which is where the germ of the idea where the story came from. And this is one of those stories that just seemed to spring fully formed from my brain from that seed. So without John, this story would not exist, so much thanks goes out to him. Before I get into the episode... I would like to make a couple of announcements. Uh, Ongoing uh, 52 Weeks of Indie is going well, and if you uh, are a podcaster and you're listening to this, I have a promo uh, that I can uh, make available to you. Uh, Also, uh, if you're interested in uh, getting free ebooks, then you should just go to 52.scottroche.com. That's 52.scottroche.com. And you will find uh, how to enter the the most recent giveaway. So, uh, as of this recording, uh, and this this should go in the feed tomorrow, so there'll still be a few days left in this particular podcast. uh, I'm sorry, in this particular ebook giveaway, uh, I am giving away Estelle Chosen by J.R. Murdoch. And in a little twist, uh, you can't actually enter yourself. I want you to choose somebody, and I want you to put their first name in the comment section on this particular blog post, and they will be entered, and when I pick a winner, I will contact you for their, for their contact information so that that doesn't get public. I thought it fit nicely with the theme of the book. It is a YA novel, so uh, if you wanted to pick a, your child or somebody else's child, or adults that like YA books, by all means, drop their name into the comment section. So, I will put a disclaimer before this one. It's a little dark, it's a little violent, so if that's going to bother you, then just skip on past this one. But if not, I hope you enjoy the story, and without any further ado, uh, let's go to Let Go by Scott Roche. Chris went to the refrigerator that dominated his kitchen and shook his head at its contents. There was a meaty thigh that had come from a redneck he caught two weeks ago, and the severed head of the Asian man that was with him. Other than a few fresh veggies from the garden and a six-pack of sports drinks, that was it. He would need to restock the pantry and soon. With a sigh, he pulled the fat cylinder of flesh from its tray and carried it carefully to the butcher block table in the center of the kitchen. A few drips would need to be cleaned up later, but it had been dry aging in the fridge, so there was little blood left. His hand selected a long, razor-sharp knife from the rack without conscious thought. It slid through the pink flesh easily, and he started a pile on the first of the nearby metal plates. When it was full, he started a second stack. He didn't bother shaving off the mold that had begun to grow or the hair that remained. It wouldn't hurt anything, and as far as he knew, it added a certain zest to the dish. When he was done, it looked for all the world like carpaccio. There was no need to go through all the trouble, Neither Linda nor Benny were picky about presentation, but even if civilization was completely shattered, that didn't mean he needed to be uncivilized. 
He sat the tin plate on a wooden serving tray and put it aside. The thigh bone went into the scrap bucket for later use in the garden. He would grind it and other scraps up and compost them. In this world, you couldn't afford to waste a single thing. After tidying up a bit, he took the tray up and carried it to the cellar door. He unlocked it with a key hanging from his belt on a retractable cord, the heavy double-barreled deadbolt thunking home and clearing the solid doorframe. Light flickered to life as he passed a sensor, revealing the steep descent. The stairs were sturdy, not giving out one groan of protest under his considerable weight. An aggressive exercise regimen and the occasional steroid cycle kept him the size of most NFL linebackers. It passed the time and had kept him alive for the last five years. He was even bigger now than he had been in his prime, but the boosts he used now would have been caught in the random drug screenings and his career would have been over. As it turned out, he hadn't needed to worry about premature retirement for that or any other reason. The leagues had been disbanded in the early days of the outbreaks. He came to rest at the base of the stairs, facing four stout wooden doors. Three of them had small hatches inset at his head height and a small covered slot at the bottom edge. The fourth was simply a solid piece of oak. The same kind of double-barreled deadbolt that kept the cellar door closed was installed on all four of them. He didn't want anyone breaking in or out if they made it this far into his sanctuary. Linda, Benny, dinner time. He doubted they could hear him through the thick walls, though their hearing was excellent. He couldn't hear the noises they made, but knew that their sense of smell was at least a few dozen times better than his. The smell of fresh meat announced his presence more effectively than his words. He put the tray down on a nearby workbench. It was as immaculate as the kitchen above. A brace of semi-automatic pistols and large-bore shotguns were held in place on the wall on a simple pegboard. Ammunition and tools for keeping all of his weapons cleaned and oiled, including the ones upstairs, were tucked away. He grabbed the stout length of oak from its place on the pegboard. A five-pound maul weighted one end. It was balanced on the other by a lead weight and tipped by a meat hook. He used the hook to snag the eye at the base of the trap on Linda's door. It slid sideways, revealing a slot large enough for the plates. He did the same to Benny's. Low groans came from the darkness beyond. The odor that followed soured his stomach. I need to clean your room out, guys. I'm sorry. I've just been so busy lately. He laid Benny's plate on the cement floor first and slid it through the slot with the maul end of the implement. The groan turned into wet, smacking sounds. He followed up quickly with Linda's plate and slid both hatches shut. First, I've got some hunting to do. He put them all back in its place on the board. Its predecessor had saved him when this whole mess started, and while he didn't use one these days, if worse came to worse, he'd put this one in action. It served as a reminder of what he could and couldn't do. He didn't relish the thought of tracking people down, but he had mouths to feed. He slid the handguns into their holsters and checked to make sure the safeties were off. Extra magazines, a wickedly sharp combat knife, and a hatchet balanced his loadout. Finally, he slid the shotguns into their places on his back. With them in place, he grabbed a reusable shopping bag, itself full of lawn and garden trash bags, and checked his security cameras to make sure everything was clear. Satisfied that no one was out there, he entered the brightly lit day. The day before, he had spotted a family of squatters near his food stash about two miles away. If he hustled, he could be there in a half an hour. They should still be nearby. The streets he walked through were once filled with the highest dollar cars you could buy, 
Now the few still visible were sun-bleached hulks. Most folks in this neighborhood had sufficient warning to get out before the shit went down, so the streets were clear. Weeds pushed through asphalt, and silence filled the air, thick and heavy. He missed the hum of the constant background noise, engines, pile drivers, radios blaring hip-hop, everything he complained about once upon a time. He especially pined for his motorcycles. The high-powered crotch rockets had been a passion of his. They were another part of the background noise in his life from before. Now you could actually hear the soft whisper of his sneakered feet as he made time. It was more important than anything to be quiet. Their hearing was almost as good as their sense of smell. All of his gear was jangle-free thanks to some research he had done in that first year. Learning from books on how to dress and carry weapons like a soldier had been a challenge. As big and badass as he was, that had all come from years on the gridiron. Mama wanted him to join the army, but that was for suckers, or so he had thought at the time. He learned their skills well in the years since. He had learned so many things. Stay quiet and stay inside as long as you could. Only go out to resupply. Use guns if you were surrounded, but rely on muscle and brains. The enemy wasn't smart or fast. There was a time when he hadn't been either, but he had moved on, mostly. Soon he saw the drop point up ahead. The RV that he used was up on blocks with free food and water here, spray-painted in massive red letters on all sides. Some people bypassed it. Desperate ones rarely did. It held canned food, bottled water, and the kinds of things that would last for years under the right conditions. Everything was reasonably fresh, and he should know. He restocked it once a month. He was pleased to see that the squatter's tent was still nearby. It was tucked under the limbs of a monumental magnolia tree, mostly out of sight. It blended in with the hand-sized green leaves. That they had taken pains to camouflage it meant they were real survivors, like him. He would need to be extra cautious if they were still conscious. There was no movement. He pulled a collapsible baton from a cargo pocket on his thigh. It extended to its full length with the press of a button. He now held a 16-inch steel rod, deadly in his hands. He counted to 30, checking out the perimeter before committing to movement. There was none. He moved the final 30 yards and stood just outside the tent. He prodded at it gently with the tip of the baton. There was no reaction. Hello, I'm here to help. He kept his voice at a stage whisper. Again, he poked at the tent a little harder this time. There was movement, more like someone rolling over than getting up. Satisfied, he switched the baton to his left hand and drew the knife. With a series of slashes, he carved the side of the tent to ribbons, revealing its contents. His breath stopped in his throat. The females, it was hard to tell how old they were, were both undernourished. The smaller one lay on one side, curled up in a ball. Her mother, or maybe her older sister, lay near the tent flap with a small frame three fifty seven in one hand. Both were unconscious, but seemed to be breathing, if a bit shallowly. It wasn't often he saw women in his traps. This was the first child he had seen in all of the five years this mess had been going on. It was mostly men who were the foragers these days. You needed real upper body strength if you ran into any of the infected, and women just didn't have it. As dangerous as things were, and as far as Chris saw it, any man who let his women run around out in the wilds deserved to die. To see ones as young as this nearly tore his heart out. 
Neither looked any older than Benny had been. That made him step back and put the blade away. What? What do I do? He didn't realize he was whispering. Up until now, he had always taken the food for his family from any men he found. On the odd occasion that it was a couple, he left them alive. Splitting up a family, trying to make it in this world was unconscionable. There was no question he would need to take them home. Leaving them here would be just as bad as killing them. If he did decide to kill them later, he might as well do it for Benny and Lisa. At home, he could keep them safe until he decided what to do. His mind made up. First, he checked their pulse. Both were strong and regular. They drank quite a bit of the water he had left behind. It was laced with a fast-acting barbiturate. Thankfully, they hadn't overdosed, though that would have made his life easier. With ease born of his massive upper body, he threw the older one over his shoulder, careful to avoid catching her on the handles of the shotguns. The other he could almost cradle in one arm. Without another thought, he made as great a haste as he could back towards his house. He couldn't take any of their meager belongings. They should still be here later, if there was a later for them. As he jogged, he began to hum a lullaby without realizing it. Once he ensured the two girls were safely laid out in the padded room's floor, he locked the deadbolt on the third room. There was no light, no window. When they awoke, it would be to near pitch blackness. There was no reason for him to go through the trouble of running electricity for the spare bedroom. Before he left, he decided to open the little hatch. That would let in light from the basement workspace. It would also provide some ventilation through the heavy grate. Satisfied that he had taken care of his guests for now, he looked at the two other occupied rooms. I still need supplies for you, my loves, his voice dragged out of him. It will have to wait, though. We have company. Part of him thought he heard a loud groan from Benny's room. No, son, they're not for you. His words reverberated back to him off of the cinder block walls. Had he made up his mind? If he wasn't going to kill these girls, then why did he bring them back here? It wasn't like he could keep them around. He gripped his skull in both hands, thumbing his eyeballs until stars appeared. I should kill them. That would be a mercy. I can send them to be with God and bury them deep. That would be a waste of flesh. His family was hungry. The wave of nausea hit him like it hadn't in years. He fell to his knees on the concrete floor and wept. What am I doing? His voice rang out and echoed back to them. An all-too-rational voice answered back, You are feeding and loving your family. It's what a man does. No, he banged his head on the floor. You couldn't end your son and your wife's existence. You can't kill these girls. His voice was thick with snot. You're a coward. No man should be forced to make that decision. You did the only thing you know how. You are giving them a home. You are keeping them safe. The people you catch would die anyway and with more terror and pain than you inflict. Then they would become like those others, like Linda and Benny. You saved them from that. Chris looked at the smear of blood on the concrete. His head hurt. His soul was sick. He needed sleep. Once he slept, he could deal with this problem. Moving like a man three times his age, he climbed the stairs and moved to the living room. It was as spotless as the rest of the house. 
The appointments were all leather, and a huge 3D LCD dominated one wall. It looked just as it had five years ago, other than the metal louvers covering every window. He collapsed on the couch. Something deep in the frame protested, but he didn't notice. He pulled the brown throw over his body and passed out. Waking to the sensation of cold steel pressing against the back of his head was a surprise. That he had woken up at all was a plus. It could only be one of the women he brought into the house. Any intruder would have set off alarms. Put the gun away. We don't need this. The voice that answered was trembling, though whether with fear or anger he couldn't tell. Give me one good reason not to kill you, you sick bastard. You aren't a killer. Don't start now. Was that true? Hadn't this world turned them all into killers? Her hand shook, telegraphing through the barrel of the 9mm. Even if he was right, there was no guarantee. She could accidentally spread his brains across the couch cushions. Maybe not, but starting with a creep who kidnaps people and uses them for God knows what. She dug the barrel deeper into his scalp. It's not like that. Look, let me sit up. A few seconds went by, dragged by like hours. The gun finally moved away from his skin. He took his time sitting up. The younger of the two stood before him. Awake and alert, though haunted and painfully thin, she now looked closer to sixteen than she had while asleep. The pistol nearly dragged her arm down. She had to use both hands to hold it steady and level. He might be able to take her, but with doctors being awfully scarce these days, he didn't relish a pistol wound. When my mom gets your other prisoners out, we'll decide together. She nodded towards the basement door. He shook his head. Other prisoners? His face screwed up. How did you get out? Your mistake was using double-barreled deadbolts. Mom had her lockpicks on her. You should have searched us more closely. She shuddered in disgust. So she's working on freeing the others. He heard the dread in his own voice. Getting them back into their rooms would be difficult, even though they had been fed recently. These women did not know the trouble they were causing themselves and him. Yeah, she should have the first one free any minute. From the noises they were making through the... She swallowed hard. Feeding slots? They must be pretty sick, but if they're well enough to tell us what happened, we can have an old-fashioned trial. She took a step towards him. An execution. He worked hard to keep his voice level. Look, miss, it's not like that. They're not prisoners, they're family. If she had looked sick and horrified before, now she was positively green. The pistol cracked across his face. It was clumsy and didn't do much damage, but it still hurt. I should kill you now. Gotta wait for Mom, though. She looked partly over her shoulder. Maureen, how's it going? His sharp ears picked up the answer through the open door to the basement. Almost there. Your mom needs to leave that door closed. Those people are infected. They're dangerous. Likely story. Who keeps them around? Her question was cut off by the screams. Chris moved from the couch like he was coming out of the starting blocks. He blew past the girl, clipping her with an elbow as he did. She spun around, falling and hitting the end table. 
The crack of bone registered as he hit the top landing. He bounced down the stairs, two at a time. Benny was pushing against the door to the cell he had put the women in. Chris had to admit she must have a lot of speed and mental fortitude on her side. That she had managed to make it to her cell and could now hold it closed against the assault spoke volumes. It wasn't hard to outrun the boy given his degraded condition, but while Benny and his kind were slow, they had the power of terror on their side. It could paralyze the strongest man. Still, he was a big boy and would win eventually. She must not have thought to grab a weapon from his workbench. It would have been easy enough to shoot the boy through the open hatch. Judging by the panting and whimpering he could hear over Benny's groans, she may simply be too far on the other side of panic. The sound of a woman in that state of terror broke something in him. His vision blurred and his hands found the thick wooden shaft. The steel wedge cut through the air and shattered Benny's skull like a rotten cantaloupe. Viscous sludge painted the walls. Someone was screaming. He was pretty certain it was him. The voice of the woman in his holding cell adding to the cacophony. He spun in place, and with two well-placed blows, the door to Linda's cell split down the center. Those people were infected. They were dangerous. Not my Linda! He screamed at the walking corpse as it bore down on him with splintered fingers extended. Wicked shards of bone were all that was left of her fingertips from years of trying to claw through the door to her cell. He extended his weapon like a pro would use a pool cue. It caught his wife in the gut. She doubled over and he spun the weapon around, catching her in the back of the head. The weight of it drove her to the floor. The maul went all the way through and bounced off the cement floor, drawing sparks. The force of the impact wrenched the tool from his hands. He had no idea how long he stood there. There was movement out in the hall. No shots were fired. Eventually, his breathing slowed down. The stench of the filth he stood in crept into his consciousness. He had no tears left. His face was washed clean of the muck by them. They couldn't touch what he had done, what he had become. The weapon clattered to the floor. He followed it, slumping to his knees. Her body was in reach. He pulled it to himself, cradling the shell in his arms. She had been gone for five years. Death had claimed Linda Shaw, and he had been too lazy, too much of a coward to let her memory go and free her body. He was wrong. There were more tears. He gathered the bodies of his wife and son and cried until there was no more. The smell of smoke brought him back to reality. A quick glance in the direction of the door at the top of the stairs told him that the women he captured had decided to cleanse this house. The door wasn't fireproof, but it was stout. He might survive the coming flames if he kept his head down and waited. The steps were wooden, but the walls and floor were concrete and cinder block. He looked from the door to his workbench. One pistol waited there for him. He hoped that the resourceful young ladies had the rest. They would need them out in the hellish frontier. His gaze flicked to what was left of his family. They were at rest, at last. He would wait with them and see if their rest would claim him. If not, maybe he would use the gun. Or maybe he would rise from the ashes and save one person for every life he had taken. Benny would have liked that. The boy liked his superheroes. Chris put his back to the wall, looked back and forth from the gun to the door, and waited. You've been listening to Let Go by Scott Roche. This story is available on Amazon and Smashwords. Look for links in the show notes. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. 
Hey everybody, I'm Tony. And I'm Jay. And we'd like to invite you to listen to some of the great short stories available on the new Fiction Writers Podcast. Yeah, that's right. And not only that, we have a fantastic community of writers that contribute their work at newfictionwriters.com for you to read when you're at lunch or whenever you think the boss isn't looking. So check us out at newfictionwriters.com and join the community of writers and fans of short fiction. And while you're there, subscribe to the podcast. You'll hear some classic shorts from the past. As well as some of the new stuff from up-and-coming writers. That's newfictionwriters.com. Hey, guys, you think we got everything covered? Yes, I think so. But maybe we should tell them if they know anybody who writes or if they have a short story they'd like to hear on a podcast, they should contact us at newfictionwriters.com. I mean, that story isn't doing anybody any good. It's just sitting there in the notebook. I could voice it. I once knew a man who died before he ever got the chance to show anybody his work. I tell you, if he just had that chance. That's newfictionwriters.com.